Welcome everybody to episode seven of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Tonight is April, excuse me, August 16th, and we're psyched to have Chief Eric Roden of Milwaukee Fire as our guest tonight. The goals here are pretty simple, bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold as possible from them in 30 to 40 minutes, short, sweet, and deep. Unfortunately, uh, Joey and Jeff can't be here tonight, so it's just myself, Nick, um, so I'm going to do my best to try not to drop the ball. So thank you for coming in tonight, Chief. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. For those that don't know Chief Roden, I'm going to do a quick little bio. Uh, I think he's probably too modest to say any of these things himself, but please correct me if I get anything wrong here, Chief. But he's been on the job for 21 years. He's currently a deputy chief at Milwaukee Fire. He is a ULFSRI advisory board member. He's the editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue Magazine. He is the co was the co-founder and editor of Urban Firefighter Magazine, um, part of the Pushing Fire blog. He's an instructor at Milwaukee Area Technical College. He's a pol excuse me, colonist for the PFFW newsletter. Um, he is tirelessly working behind the scenes. He's the, the hardest working guy that we never heard of 10 years ago. And uh, he's a shooting sports athlete as well. Um, Chief, did I get anything wrong there? Um, oh, yeah, a couple of things, actually. Uh, I, I'm no longer with the Milwaukee Area Technical College. Uh, I was there for... Um, little over 20 probably 23 years and it was time to hang that up to kind of uh you know make way for some others in the uh, fire service and um and i'm no longer the editor-in-chief of fire rescue magazine as well uh we were acquired by a um uh kind of a, a convention um a hedge fund group uh, clarion events and uh they decided to disband about Ooh, probably 80 of Penwell Publishing's magazines, and unfortunately, mine was one of them. So, however, um, you know, it was a great run. I was the editor-in-chief for four years, and uh, was not lost to me, and a, and a great opportunity and a great time while I was uh, in the seat. Well, I was a giant fan of that, um, and it was sad when they went from paper to uh, to online. Yeah. I'm, I'm still old school. I like to hold it in my hands and flip through it and mm -hmm. smell it and feel it and all that. But uh, thank you for what you did there. Giant fan of Fire Rescue Magazine. Um, still have a giant stack of them downstairs. Um, Chief, to anyone who has ever read your articles, heard you teach, or had the pleasure to meet you, your passion and love for the job is palpable. Where does this love come from? Um, well, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I don't want to sound cheese ball, but started, you know, when I was in junior high school, you know, I had a, a mother who was an emergency room nurse for 50 years. So, you know, I always kind of ran into, you know, firefighters here and there and uh, something I had exposure to how cool the job was, you know, I, you know, in all honesty, you know, full disclosure, you know, I wanted a really cool job. I didn't have to go to school for, you know, and uh, growing up and, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, you know, I had to get, you know, a few college degrees to, to get, do some of the cool stuff that I was able to do uh, later in my career. But uh, so I kind of became a hypocrite, but um you know, I don't have any family on the job and, and I don't, you know, I, I didn't have any friends on the job and, um, you know, it's just something that I was you know, fortunate to be able to, to get hired doing at a very young age. Uh, I was able to work for, you know, sorry, I was a volunteer like uh, many of us right out of high school and I worked for a suburban department for about seven or eight years before finally getting hired by the city. So um, it's been kind of, I guess, a similar ride that everybody else has had that's discovered this job um, early on and uh, been forced to do, to do it uh, at an early age. Were you into the job right from the get-go or was it a certain person that kind of turned you on to well, it? Or? Yeah, you know, I was one of those guys, you know, that, that uh, you know, I was attracted to, you know, the, the fun side of the job, you know, going to fires, doing all that stuff. I mean, every, everyone's, you know, I was going to dig that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until 
2000 and actually uh, 1995. Actually, I had a few years on the job as a volunteer and I was you know, working for a suburban department. And, you know, I grabbed, you know, a fire engineering magazine. It was, you know, I would flip through it once in a while. You'd see those obviously in the bathroom or on the kitchen table or something like that. And uh, I found Andy Frederick's um, Return of the Solid Stream article. And, you know, I didn't know who Andy Fredericks was at the time. I didn't know who any famous firefighters were. And it was a real short, quick read. And I read it, um, I think I read it on the crapper even in, in about you know, 15 minutes. And, and I was just stunned at, you know, I, I knew what a solid stream was. I knew what a, you know, a straight stream was and all that stuff. But I really didn't know anything about it. I really didn't care, right? That's, you know, when you're young and you're learning the job, you're looking up to the, the old timers. And if they're not talking about it, you're not thinking about it. So um once i read that article i came out i said hey uh you know what happened to the solid stream on our engine because we used straight streams at the time and everyone's like i don't know you know where'd they go so um so we started talking about it. i started getting you know i read the rest of that issue cover to cover and uh the rest is history i, I really got hooked on the, the fire magazines and um you know my brother lived in new york city at the time back then he got an advertising right out of high school as i was pursuing the, the firefighting dream and I would, I remember, um, stopping by a couple of firehouses and I would ask, I say, Hey, you know, the Sandy Fredericks guy and, and guys were like, yeah, I think he works up somewhere in the Bronx. He only has like two years on the job. And I was like, huh? Okay. So, uh, the FDNY, I want to say back in 96, 96, they had a conference at the nine X center. They had, uh, their, their high rise symposium. Then they had their firefighting symposium where, uh, it was, Vincent Dunn, Andy Fredericks, Jerry Tracy, um, Ray Downey, Pete Gancy, all these, you know, names. Uh, I mean, the, the, these legends, um, um, Vigiano came to one of them and, and, and I didn't know who any of these guys were. Right. And so I sat in this, uh, conference and I was just floored at how much these guys knew. And that's when I had a chance to meet Andy Fredericks and, you know, introduced myself, said, Hey, I, your article is why I'm here, you know, and I, I kind of was fanboying over him a little bit. And, you know, he only had back then, I think he only had five or six years on at the time, maybe. And, and um, so he was this young firefighter and all these other uh, legends were gushing over Andy Frederick saying, this is an up and comer. This guy's a real engine wonk. He's kind of making it cool to be in the engine again in their job with that many years on. So obviously that's a man after my own heart, somebody that can, you know, do that kind of thing at an early age. So he kind of became my muse. And, um, so I, I followed his career and he invited me, you know, he was, um, I forgot where he was working at the time, uh, but invited me to the firehouse and I get a chance to stop by that visit, but I went out, uh, in 97 for another conference. They had similar conference, same, same people, same act. And, uh, he was at a newly formed squad company, squad 18 in Manhattan. So I would, I would go down there and I would talk with him and, and just, you know, chew his ear off. And he would talk about nozzles and hose. And I mean, till shift change, it was just insane. And um, everyone in the company said he was the first one hand picked for that company. And I apologize for being long-winded about it, but it's just kind of like, this is, you know, how easy it is to get inspired in this career and, and, you know, really get into the job. You really just need to meet one person like an Andy Fredericks or yourself or Ray McCormick or any of these other types. And, you, know, you kind of figure out um, what you're missing in the job, knowledge-wise, academic-wise, and you know, operationally-wise. So um, that was kind of my indoctrination to the National Fire Service, if you will. And um, so I was working for Milwaukee, and um, you know, I you know, I ran into Andy and and um, a couple of Andy's guys, and um, 
in about 2001, uh, I get an email from Rick Fritz and saying, hey, Andy's uh, wondering if you're interested in teaching at FDIC. And, you know, I was going to FDIC for a couple of years, you know, as an attendee, and I was just floored, like, wow, you know, I'm this, you know, Johnny, you know, guy, a kid at Engine 28 in Milwaukee, you know, he's FDNY, and there's, you know, all these other heavy hitters in his, on his team and instructor cadre. And um, obviously, unfortunately, September 11th kind of uh, derailed a, you know, a lot of that group's um, momentum, et cetera. But I went in 2002 and um, taught my first year. Obviously, it was a, a horrendous, you know, time, but it was a, also a very inspiring time to kind of, you know, be a part of, you know, uh, keeping Andy's dream alive and, and, and really, um, you know, kind of being one of his first ambassadors, if you will, to kind of, you know, you know, not let that dream die by making it cool to be in the engine again. And, um, from then on, it was just, uh, you know, I kept my foot on the gas, you know, trying to live up to a guy like that. So that's kind of my really long winded, you know, story of how I got into the job and, and why I'm still into the job to this day. So. No, that was a great one. I, there are a couple of things about that, that, that stick out to me is if anybody has footage of that conference that you went to, uh, that would be awesome. Throw that on YouTube. Cause I'm guessing that was, that was mind blowing. I, I think it was filmed. I'm sure the FDNY has all the B-roll you can get on that. So I agree. I mean, if somebody knows anybody in the FDNY's, you know, photo unit or, or media department, I mean, I mean, I'd pay a million bucks for any of those tapes. So. Right. If, if anyone's listening that has access to anybody there, has connections, make that happen. And then I love what you said about how, you know, it just takes meeting one person or working mm -hmm. one shift with somebody or reading one article or going to one class um, to get inspired and, and to really change someone's trajectory. Um, or the vector of their career and not even necessarily even in the job but in the in any other domain in your life as well and I'm always interested to hear you know mm -hmm. what turned people on to to the job or to whatever they're into so thank you for sharing that that was really cool yeah you bet um so I think all of us that are listening to this were likely big fans of Urban Firefighter can you tell us a little history of how you and Ray decided to make your own magazine yeah, I mean, I tell you what, those were uh, also great days, um, and it, it was a great venture, and that's something obviously I'll be and my and Ray will also. I mean, we'll be probably the most proud of that for you know uh, rest of our lives. I'll be probably the pinnacle of uh, something we were able to start. So, um, you know, Ray and I, you know, we're cut from the same cloth in terms of um, what we like about the fire service, um, kind of how firefighters, um, how they should. I don't say I'll be as into the job, but um kind of the message if you will and the the type of material that firefighters should be getting and i mean that you know as myriad magazines you can read they're all great um great people hardworking um editors and, and contributors but we felt that there was uh something missing in kind of the urban setting if you will the urban fire sphere and that wasn't just big cities it was you know the big cities, suburbs, exurbs, and kind of the, you know, fire departments that had kind of a similar theme, similar response type, similar uh, fire buildings, uh, and that, that if you will, or, you know, you know, multiple companies or firehouses responding to its incidents. So we wanted to build kind of this uh, vessel for, you know, kind of a, a down and dirty, um, you know, street level, uh, periodical or, or magazine, if we, you will, that kind of appeal to, you know, guys like us and, uh, you know, and, you know, everyone that's, that's going to watch this later. Um, and we wanted to be kind of a boutique niche, if you will, but also be 
something we could just give the fire service. So obviously, you know, we, we gave issue one through eight away, you know, and, um, um, it's something we're very proud to do. We had, I thought we had great articles and I really wanted to get into the culture, if you will, of the urban fire service. Um, you know, we all find that same appeal in the urban fire service, kind of the, you know, the, the construct of the, of a company, the senior firefighter, the junior firefighters, the officer, um, the hierarchy, if you will, and the, you know, who you look up to in a company, who you look up to in your fire department, every fire department has their legends and their, their big heavy hitters. So we want to kind of portray that and kind of introduce that a little more to the fire service. So, you know, the, one of the first firefighters, actually the first firefighter we profiled was Gene Rowell from the city of Chicago. And he was a, uh, a former pro football player for the Chicago Bears. He played for the 85 Super Bowl Bears. So he had all these great Walter Payton, Refrigerator Perry, you know, McMahon stories. And, and um, you know, and after his you know, football career ended due to an injury, he joins the fire department, gets hired. And, um, but nobody in the United States knew this guy was even there in the Chicago Fire Department. And, you know, I knew him through, you know, friendship circles and, um, you know, his nickname was the goon because he was just this monster uh, firefighter. He had a special make gloves for the guy. His hands were so big. Um, but he had a heart of gold and he was a guy everybody looked up to in a company. Um, everybody liked him. And, you know, there was no better person to profile on our first issue. So we really wanted to kind of introduce those people. And him, we, you know, Gabe and Jemmy, you know, the coolest guy in the fire service, right? And, you know, get those people uh, in front of you guys and, 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 help celebrate it but you know unfortunately you know it's very expensive to keep a magazine like that going we're actually one of the first e-magazines in publishing i would say probably in publishing back then so we took kind of a quantum leap that really uh was very hard to kind of keep going without a lot of uh you know support so we we partnered up with penwell they were very good to us for a while and um you know unfortunately it just wasn't something we could kind of keep in the in the stable but uh i'll forever be proud of it ray will as well um it was a good time to be in our, in our prime, if you will, and, and, and do that kind of stuff and, and give that to the fire service. So um, if I could leave any legacy or gift to the fire service, you know, if somebody said it was urban firefighter, that's all, that's all I'd be happy with. Yeah. If anyone that's listening has never heard of urban firefighters, never seen one, go ahead and look it up. Most of the, you can find, I think all eight of them if for sure the, the first seven, um, but all eight of them online, if you do a little bit of searching. So, so mm-hmm. do yourself a favor, uh, like the first time I heard of, of and Jemmy was in there or Bresler was through there. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine uh, how legendary a Chicago firefighter who played for the 85 bears was in Chicago, because mm-hmm. I can't stop hearing about the 85 bears from yeah. the bears fans that I know. And we're 30 some years later. Uh, so I imagine that even if this what, this guy wasn't amazing at his job and an amazing human being, that he would still be a legend there because they won't stop talking about those 85 Bears and the Super Bowl shuffle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you've also been on uh, ULFSRI's advisory board, I believe since its inception. Yes. Uh, the board's thoughtful, logical, and methodical steering for almost the past decade has to be applauded. Um, how you guys have gone from you know kind of simple to complex um, and then slowly adding more and more pieces to this um, has to be applauded. You guys just had a meeting in Roanoke. I don't know if you were there. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to attend that. Yeah. Do you know what might be uh, in the future, what they might put their next grant in for? Obviously, they don't know when they're going to get their grants for a while or 
what their last grant that they received uh, is or was? Yeah, well, they, they kind of changed the construct of the, uh, it used to be the Firefighter Safety Research Institute. And, you know, they've expanded their, their mission, if you will, and kind of their, um, uh, I guess, their, their research endeavors uh, to all things firefighter safety. So it's now the Fire Safety Research Institute. Uh, it was just rebranded. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not entirely different, but uh, the scope is much bigger. And um, I think you're going to see, you know, a lot, lot more, I guess, holistic, you know, approach to the fire service, kind of bringing all things, you know, community risk reduction, you know, data, like you were talking about just before we went live here and bring a lot of that into um, firefighter safety, as well as, you know, some of the operational stuff and the um, tactical level, uh, you know, technical reports that we've, we've been putting out, but um I mean, I expect uh, a lot more, uh, and again, a lot more encompassing things. So I'm very excited about it. I think everyone else should be as well. Nice. Any idea when that residential size up and search study might be draft? Uh, I would imagine very soon. Um, I'm sure the the final report was discussed uh, at the meeting um, last week, and uh, I haven't had a chance. I just got back into town, but. Um, but you know, I'm anxious to hear from from them on how that went, and you know, any of their thoughts, and and uh, and definitely when the releases with that. So they, they like to put things out as a package, obviously with some of the, with the educational component and the access to you know everything on the website. And so I'd imagine probably within the next month or two, you'll see something on that. Nice. They also just redid their website. Uh, so if anyone hasn't been to the, their website in a while, look it up, see the new logo, see uh, see everything that they've been doing, and and uh, how much easier the website is to utilize and navigate now. Um, Milwaukee Fire has recently paired with Leadership Under Fire. Can you tell us a little bit about the impetus for this marriage and what MFD is hoping to gain from this matrimony? Um, yeah, that was actually um, a prior chief of the school. I was working with uh, Paul Conway, uh, Jason Brother, and Leadership Under Fire Gang, um, Brian McNulty, the captain of Rescue Two uh, in Milwaukee, to bring kind of a, a mentorship and leadership program to the city. Um, and unfortunately I wasn't, you know, involved in any of that, uh, or them, uh, coming to the, the city. Uh, however, um, I did a short stint, uh, right after I got promoted at the fire Academy again, and we, uh, set up a kind of a part two of that, uh, in June. Um, so there'll be some more stuff coming out on, on that, uh, departmentally, uh, for us, uh, on mentorship and, and, um, you know, some of the, uh, behavioral, uh, um, you know, and the operational stuff and kind of the, um, I'm kind of losing, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it, but um, some of the more um, operational mindsets um, kind of things and, and uh, you know, advances in, in that kind of realm uh, to firefighting decision-making and, you know, uh, making rapid decisions and, and uh, that kind of stuff. So, um I mean, the, the, the attendees that, that took that just came out in their heads were, you know, swollen by the end of the, you know, the, the two days. So um, once we kind of digest all that stuff and, and put it out, I think we'll have a more robust program in the city of Milwaukee uh, Fire Department um, on that type of uh, decision making. So I'm looking forward to it. It's all great stuff. You've seen, uh, you've seen in your, in your career from afar, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your time and energy has been focused on operational strategies and tactics, which we obviously love. How can we fit decision-making into our operational training? Um, 
Well, I mean, I would do a, definitely a, you know, a review of the, the current literature that's out there. I would definitely, you know, contact Bresler's Leadership Under Fire Group and um, start looking at, you know, kind of the, the parallel um, vocations, if you will, on, on some of the things they're doing, especially in the military. Um, I mean, they're always a step ahead of everybody else. Uh, Operational-wise, it's definitely, you know, having a, a plan in your organization, not just a program. I mean, a lot of departments seem to have great programs, but very little planning in terms of uh, execution. And what I mean by that is a lot of departments, even, even large jobs, don't have their policies and their standing operating guidelines or standing operating procedures in writing. And they'll have kind of a, you know, the incident commander's first priority is to do this. And, you know, the second in company is going to do water supply. And it's just kind of this, this boilerplate program, but unless it's correlated to your actual response, the types of fire buildings you're going to in your area, and, um, you know, the, the people you have on the rig, the position, um, you know, the positional assignments and areas of responsibility, that kind of stuff, you really just have a program. So decision-making is, is, can be very much simplified by knowing, you know, and I've, I've probably written this a million times in different articles, but um, knowing where you're supposed to go, you know, when you get there, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to be carrying and uh, what you're supposed to be doing when you get there. So unless that's all in writing, uh, you really don't have a plan. So if you have that all in writing, um, you have a plan and, and all you have to do is just follow it, make sure it goes according to that plan and it's easy. So that's why, you know, my organization, it's very easy to be a chief officer. Um, we have great companies. If they're second do, if they're second new engine, second new truck, they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And um, uh, we know right away if they're not doing that. So that's when um, decisions in the plan can be changed. So um, that's, where I think organizations need to go. And then we can train on that. We can train on positions. We can correlate injuries based on position. Um, and I'll use kind of an example. Uh, we, were, we were burning uh, firefighters around the, uh, the waistline um, with a, a specific type of fire uh, turnout coat we were wearing. And you know, we were, uh, a lot of our firefighters would wear spanner belts. We, you know, it's kind of a, a historical piece of equipment in the city of Milwaukee to wear a spanner belt and that's where you you know secure your axe to if you're on the truck or you're on the engine you just have it on um, for obvious reasons and you know we were finding out that you know the nozzleman was getting a burn on a few instances so you know we were able to take that position and then you know kind of readdress some of our our hose lines uh operations are in our nozzle movement etc uh, when to open the line etc so little things like that um, that's just one minuscule example of, uh, of what you can be doing, um, you know, with that plan and with those positional assignments. So I like that line that you had in there too, about, about having a plan and not just a program. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot more, that's a lot more true than, than most people will, will give it credit for. Um, going along kind of the same realm of, of decision-making and at least in my mind, some of the other things that, that I do for decision-making and to try to remain calm or to, to get myself in the right mindset um, is I use self-talk. Do you ever use self-talk either on a scene or on your way to a scene, or is this kind of just pre-programmed and, and you, you got it down now? You know, um, yes and no. I mean, I, obviously, you know, you internalize the incident, you hear the address. You, I mean, and we're a grid system in the city of Milwaukee, so I can hear a, a, a coordinate and pretty much guess what the, uh, you know, what the type of fire building is. And, um, you know, the more you go to those types of fires, the more you kind of, you know, understand what you expect to see based on, 
uh, who's there, um, when they got there. And I mean, you could, you know, you could see an engine and a truck on scene and you, you pretty much know right away what's happening or what they're doing. So, um, you kind of just try to put yourself into a mindset and, um, you know, again, expect a certain plan to be underway when you get there and, um, you know, understand if something's not happening when you get there, basically that something's wrong and you can kind of, uh, you work your way through it from there. So, Sorry. but I guess, you know, with that, you know, I, I guess I'll, I kind of add to that as an aside, you know, I had a, some of the best advice I got as a chief officer was, uh, I first got made, you know, we had a, a, a great assistant chief, um, Brian Glassell. Um, he's a legend on our job and, you know, he pulls me in his office one day. He's like, uh, I was a very young uh, battalion chief, very young, um, uh, youngest at the time. So he, he really wanted to, to give me a lot of good advice because obviously I'd be working with a lot of old salty dogs. And, and he said, you know, kid, don't, don't worry. It'll take you about a year before you're comfortable uh, as a battalion chief. And, um, you know, that's, you know, feeling comfortable at fires, feeling comfortable, you know, handling stuff at the kitchen table, et cetera. And, you know, when you first hear that, you're kind of like, okay, that's just kind of the you know, advice that, you know, he was given and he has to give, but, you know, he was absolutely right. You know, your first few fires as a battalion chief, again, you're going over that plan in your head. You're going over, um, you know, what should I be seeing? You know, how do I act when I get there? You know, you're, you're telling yourself, you know, calmness is contagious. You're, you're giving yourself kind of your own company line, if you will. Um, but, you know, I remember at a, about a year as a battalion chief, I'm sitting in quarters at engine 18 on rounds and a fire comes in uh, probably 10 blocks away. I knew I was going to be the first one there because 18s is the first new engine. And obviously, you know, I was able to you know, beat them out the door in a buggy. Um, and dispatcher gets on the, the horn and says, you know, we have you know, reports of jumpers. We have, you know, people trapped. It was, you know, everything. And you know, I saw the plume. I actually took a picture of the, I shouldn't probably admit this, but, but I took a picture of the plume while I was responding because um, I had my phone out. And, uh, you know, I just said, well, I got this. I, I, I I'm, I know I'm ready. And it just, it was just a, a real kind of a, a seminal moment in my career as a chief officer, where you're just like, you know, I have good people coming and I know I'm going to be there watching the first line come off. So you know, things are going to be very easy, you know, from this point on once I get there. So, um, so it's a little things like that, that, you know, uh, with regards to self-talk that, that kind of help you develop, if you will. So hope I answered your question. No, that was perfect. I, I find myself doing that more and more now. Um, and it's, it's totally changed. Not only the context, uh, what I'm saying has, has completely changed, not only in context, um, but also in kind of the way that I talk to myself too. I'm sorry for, for anyone that, that can't see this video. Uh, my, my son's in here who was awesome, but he's just having a good time right now. So I apologize if I've seemed a little distracted. Uh, Chief, uh, a handful of years ago, this has got to be at least six years ago now, you had an article um, based off some research that you, along with some others, uh, the others being uh, Matt Quinn, ASU, Phoenix Fire Department, and I'm sure some others were involved with, where you attempted to estimate the first, second, and even third degree order costs saved to the city and community at a handful of commercial fires. This article was, was kind of paradigm shifting to me and likely to many others. Uh, it was paradigm shifting the fact that this is the first time that I remember um, anyone ever attempting to quantify or use metrics to, to quantify kind of the positive aspect of our jobs. Um, 
Can you just give a, a brief explanation, like a 30,000 foot view of this article for, for people that haven't read this? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the article you're referring to was, uh, was authored by Matt uh, Quinn. And, you know, I, I contributed a, a very small piece to that on, on stuff we were doing in the city of Milwaukee uh, on a, uh, a related uh, resource allocation and optimization study that we were, we were conducting. Um, and it really kind of was the, I guess, the, you know, kind of a micro project to that macro project. And what, uh, what Phoenix did was they partnered with ASU and their uh, data science um, people, and they wanted to estimate the economic impact of fires in the city of Phoenix. And um, obviously, you know, we, we've had infers for a million years, and we've had a lot of these, you know, outdated um, kind of you know, metrics to scrape every year when we were coming essentially to beg them not to cut companies. And, you know, in, in Milwaukee, we're working on our projects. Obviously, we, you know, we've seen some, you know, draconian cuts um, in the last, you know, 15 years. And we've, we've lost over 300, you know, positions since 2005 in the city. So um, we really had to look at changing. And, you know, this sound might sound, uh, you know, a little, little uh, off-putting to some people, but, you know, the politicians call it the burning babies um, defense uh, at budget time, where obviously you cut companies, babies are going to die in the building down the street from that firehouse. And it was a shop worn argument in a lot of fire departments. Phoenix knew that. I mean, Phoenix, they were having troubles back then as well um, with budgets. And, you know, it was just time. And there's a lot of great people working on this stuff across the country, but we realized it was time to, you know, come up with a way to show how important we were, not just why we were important. And I mean, like I said before, everyone knows why the fire department's important. I mean, it, you know, a, a five-year-old could tell you that, but a, a politician needs to see the metrics and the data and uh, what you're responding to. And the IFF had their standards of cover, uh, which is, you know, which has done its own quantum leap in terms of, um, you know, uh, efficacy uh, at budget time to a lot of places. But you know, we really didn't understand the severity of it. So, you know, Phoenix really went nuclear with it and, you know, looked at, okay, while well, that business is on fire, it puts 20 people out of work. Those 20 people out of work were making $50,000 a year. So now there's $100,000 that's not, you know, being spent on, on taxes and services. And, um, you know, they're not, you know, using disposable income to buy, boats and you know cars and all that other stuff because they're out of work so they really went um really went big with it and it was a very noble endeavor uh, i'm not really sure where they're at with it at the time um obviously you know our project was was shelved in the city of milwaukee just because it was um too big a project to you know kind of keep going at the time um based on the amount of you know cuts that had to happen due to you know budgetary control measures if you will and, and some of the the dollars coming in and, and going out so um, you know, I, I implore fire departments to, to get in on that stuff, find the experts like Matt Quinn and the FDNY and Maddie Hines Aldrich, um, uh, Sarah Wood, some of these names, um, you know, obviously if you contact me, I'll give you the numbers in 10 seconds, but they can really help you, uh, help you, you know, show your politicians how important you guys are and, and, um, you know, the impact, uh, of closing a company and what that will actually do detrimentally to your, uh, to your city. Yeah, I loved how, as far as I know, that was the first time that, at least to, to, to as far as I know, that anyone ever tried to 
quantify like something like a win or a hit or something for a positive aspect of the fire service instead of just estimated dollars lost and, and civilian injuries, civilian deaths, firefighter deaths, firefighter injuries. Uh, it was the first time that, that I'm aware of that anyone tried to quantify something positive that we did and try to then capture that and so that everybody had access to that, whether that was for residential uh, fires like you were doing in Milwaukee for the, the cost for what it would take to rebuild what was lost mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just dollars lost. Right. Um, so it was like a dollar saved thing or if it was the commercial aspect like Phoenix was doing. So uh, that led me um, and a couple other guys um, through a couple other evolutions and, and twists and turns to come up with firefighter rescue surveys. So that was really mm-hmm. one of the impetuses to try to track the number of people that we're rescuing and how we're rescuing these people. Um, so thank you and, and everyone else involved in that project. Cause that was, that was definitely changing for me. That was a game changer. All right. We got a couple more generalized questions here, but broad brush strokes, when it comes to training, what are we meaning the American fire service doing correctly and what are we doing wrong? Um, correctly. Um, obviously, you know, um, you know, I'll say, you know, this is kind of an old adage that the, you know, senior guys told me when I first started was the fire department that hires you is never the one you retire from. So, you know, your job is going to change. Um, what you do is going to change. Um, everybody's doing, you know, a lot more than they were even a couple of years ago. I mean, when I came on the job, our busiest engine company was running maybe 5,500 runs a year. And, um, you know, I, I came on an engine, I was doing maybe 4,000 runs a year. And, that was considered insanely busy, right? Um, now, these same engine companies, based on you know a lot of the you know the the company cuts, they're doing sixty five hundred plus runs a year, and it's an unrelenting beating. And we're seeing, um, you know, just the the level of, or the onslaught, and you know some of the concerns we have with you know sleep deprivation and you know some of the behavioral health concerns that were you know we never really considered about when you and I got hired, but. Um, so we have to kind of train to be, you know, very good at our job and to do it under pressure. Again, that's, you know, Bresler's leadership under fire and, you know, learning how to make those decisions when you're on your 18th run after midnight and, and, you know, not, you know, making, being able to make that same decision at 0800 when you punch in. So, um, so that stuff's important. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot more access to training. I mean, when I came on, you know, you know, the senior firefighter in the company would, you know, usually be the one that would you know pretty much pick out the drill or the boss, right? So, um, we'd you know we train on something we sucked at at the last fire. Uh, we'd you know some you know new tool get dropped off the firehouse and we were expected to learn it. So you know drills were pretty much um, as needed, and you know we drilled you know pretty much every day. We did something and we went to enough buildings or we you know hang out in a building after an EMS run or after a fire and you know do a drill and you know break into a vac and do all kinds of cool stuff like that, but. Um, now, you know, I have access to everybody across the country and, you know, I have access to more conferences. I have access to more, uh, media, if you will, um, more tools, more innovations, et cetera. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to prioritize now than it ever was. And I think what we need to do is, uh, this is going to sound very, you know, like a platitude, but, you know, stick to the basics. I mean, because there's so much innovation going on out there with tools, techniques, et cetera, you know, we can't forget that, 
you know, none of that makes a world of difference uh, if your stretch sucks, you know, on the first hole line. I mean, you get that wrong, you know, all this, you know, all this stuff goes right out the window, pun intended. Um, so, you know, focus on that stuff. Focus on, again, that, that plan we talked about versus the program is train according to your plan, you know, how you're going to respond. You know, if you're, you know, train on, you know, uh, backup firefighter, train on, you know, our, our force firefighter in Milwaukee, our force bunch firefighter and what those jobs are if you're on the second new truck. That way they become more innate and um, kind of become more important, if you will, versus just going and watching a fire on, on YouTube or, you know, watching a video of the, the latest conference and seeing something your job will never do or, or never implement. So um, what we're doing wrong, um, actually what we're doing right, I guess, is, is you know, we're, we're bringing a lot more, I should probably answer your question. What we're doing right is bringing um, more into our fire departments than we ever have with that innovation, et cetera. But again, make sure that it kind of correlates to how your job does it. Um, what we're doing wrong, I think, uh, nationally, uh, I think we're kind of, you know, I'll probably get, um, figure out which direction I'm going to go with this, but uh, uh, to not make any, any enemies. But what I, what I see a lot is a lot more proselytizing, and I'll call it kind of fire service evangelism that we're seeing more than, than we really, you know, you know, everybody on this, in the fire service, everyone on my fire department, your fire department knows what we're here for and who we're here for. Um, you know, essentially we don't have to make that the overriding urge to train. We need to train and be professionals. Uh, you and I are paid very handsomely to do this job and, you know, we should be expected to, you know, um, be very good at, uh, at doing what we do in the jobs that we're in. Um, I think we tend to look at what another fire department is doing, one that might be bigger than us, uh, smaller than us, et cetera, and trying to make that work in organizations when, you know, one, we don't have the staffing to cover a building like that. So we tend to fragment a lot of that stuff versus being, the, you know, the jack of all trades that a lot of other fire departments have to be. Um, so I think, you know, we tend to kind of lose ourselves in kind of that proselytizing and, and um, losing kind of the, I guess the, the, the microeconomics of our own department of uh, um, what we're capable of providing, doing all at once. So. Oh, beautiful answer. That was a, uh, I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while. If you had a crystal ball and could see into the future, what would fire service training, education, and learning look like in 10 to 20 years? Yikes. Um, You know, honestly, what I see, this is just a prediction. I think you're going to see uh, academies shortened. I think you're going to see a lot more um, stuff being to deliver, you know, delivered to you, you know, um, virtually. I think you're going to be responsible for knowing 10 times more than what you and I are expected to know. Um, you know, I think you're going to see more centralized, you know, kind of, you know, hope I don't contradict what I just said, but um centralizing a lot of the you know the skill sets i mean when i came out i came out in engine 28 in milwaukee all i had to care about was you know working in a single engine company you know i didn't have to worry about anything in the truck i didn't have to worry about you know laddering a building for writ i didn't have to learn or not learn but uh you know i knew i wasn't responsible for any of that at a fire i just had to make sure that that first hose line got stretched flake charged and placed in an operation in that order and now um 
you know, we're seeing a lot more units being specialized. Um, you know, a lot of fire departments are implementing squad companies. They're implementing more uh, specialized units. And I think that's where we need to go. Um, and um, it kind of decentralize those operations because, you know, our resources are being dwindled. Um, you know, there's, there's two truisms, you know, the fire department will never have money and everyone's supposed to hate the chief. Right. So, you know, my fire department has never had money and we've had the same budgets. I mean, when I came on almost every rig had five people on it and that was great. You know, you never think that's going to end. Well, guess what? Party's over, you know, in a few years. And that's kind of the case in every fire department. I think, um, um, obviously, you know, fire departments are getting more diverse. That that's a good thing. And I don't just mean, you know, demographically, I think, um, ideologically i think we're seeing a lot more unique people coming into the fire service it's not just you know you know being lucky and beating out some of the people that had veterans points um, to get on a, on a fire department and get into an academy i think you're seeing a lot more people that are leaving you know other lines of work to become firefighters and i think you know conversely you'll see some more transients as well i think you'll see people that are in it for a little while and then they move on and do something else so i think um, you'll see that onslaught of training and requirements and uh, what you have to know in a shorter amount of time than you and I had to learn it. Uh, one, it's more accessible. Two, it's going to be required. And, you know, three, it's, it's just going to be the future service delivery of being, you know, you know, understanding all things and understanding it very, very soon and very quickly in your career. All right. Lastly, I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. First one, what's the best conference you've ever attended? I would say it was any of the, the those FTNY 9X Center conferences back in the you know, mid-90s. I mean, you know, Ray and I have this talk all the time when uh, we talk about, you know, the way when we have our way things were kind of talks. But, um, you know, I to this very day, I, I remember every one of those classroom sessions. I still have the binders from those conferences. And, and uh, you know, the notes I took from Andy's class, I still have all that stuff. So um obviously you know I, I have a bias there based on you know my my uh, upbringing in the fire service my conditioning in the fire service but a definitely unmatched uh, uh caliber of instruction in, in people yeah that's a tough lineup to beat right there yeah all right what's the best class you've ever been to you know i don't even think i can give that answer I, i've taken you know you know, like yourself, I think we've both taken every class you possibly can. So I, 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 um, I would say it depends on the mood I was in in my career, you know, and what I really cared about. So, um, yeah, I don't even, I don't, I, I wouldn't even want to answer that question. So, no, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh, what's the best book you've ever read? It doesn't need to be fire specific or, or anything like that. It could be anything that that I would say that the biggest uh, kind of shift in in my my management and and I don't say leadership because leadership's just management practiced well, but I think in 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 my management ethos was a book called The Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership. I pushed that book on everybody, and I hate leadership and management books. I think they're you know, half of them are garbage. They're, you know, they're embellished and they're just, you know, ridiculous anecdotes that, that never work in the workplace. But this book, um, I was part of a an orthopedic startup a few years ago and the boss made us read this book. Um, 
And I, I, I'll tell you what, it really is a gut punch on how bad you really are at interacting with people. Uh, I forgot who the author is, but it's the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. You know, it's kind of a mouthful, but uh, I suggest every person that works in a company or on a fire department, read that book, uh, realize how you are not contributing uh, uh, in terms of uh, your part of the organization as you can be, how we're all terrible listeners, how we all have to be right. And, uh, you know, the victim villain tri hero triangle that we, we love being in gossip. I mean, everything is touched in that book. And, and uh, I mean, you'll just, uh, you know, it'll gut punch you and then you'll read it a few times and then, and then you'll get so many good, good, uh, good things out of that book. And uh, it's changed, it's changed me overnight. And, you know, I bet it would everybody else that's listening to this too. So. Well, thank you for, for telling us about that. I wrote that down. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yep. And then lastly, I don't know if you're into these at all, but favorite podcast, radio show, uh, YouTube channel, anything else where, where, you know, is kind of outside the realm of, of where most people get their media or at least did 10 years ago. Is there a, um, yep. I got to punch up on my phone. It's the human second here. It is. Punch up my iTunes here. I'm gonna tell you, it's it's. I think it's uh, uh, Human Lab. What's it called here? Uh, Huberman Lab. Huberman Lab. Okay. Yeah, it's it's more of like a, a health and wellness type podcast, but it really gets into. I mean, if you're if you're a wonk in terms of you know physiology, how you hear, how you see, how you eat, how you you know how you essentially, it's like a holistic wellness type podcast, but um i i've just been glued to that podcast um insanely i you know listen to it at work and i mean they're they're longer podcast episodes but they're there's just chock full of stuff that'll blow your mind and you know make you think how you eat and how you see and how you take care of your eyes <laughs> i mean it's just it's it's unrelenting but it, it there's just so much cool stuff and you know it, it it's applicable to all spectrums of, of all things so i think that's why why i dig it so much nice well thank you i'm gonna have to check that out as well well, I think that kind of wraps it up, Chief. Is there anything else you want to tell everybody before we head out? Uh, no, I you know, appreciate uh, talking about it. Obviously, you know, I've, uh, you know, I haven't completely disappeared. You know, I've kind of, you know, semi-retired from, you know, the circuit, if you will. Um, I'm still out there. Um, you know, I, I've kind of discovered the, uh, the shooting sports. So I've been a competitive clay shooter for the last couple of years and, um, you know, it's, it's been great for me. I mean, be for the last 25 years, I think my hobby was wishing I was in the firehouse and, and, uh, now it's kind of changed to, you know, that. So I recommend taking up a hobby like that, you know, uh, golf, you know, shooting or, you know, whatever, you know, if, you know, find something outside of the fire service that makes you appreciate the job more, uh, when you're not there and, and kind of takes your attention away from it. Um, other than that, um, you know, uh, staying at the job, you know, um, you look for the guys like me, look for the guys like you and, um, you know, get them into the job soon, kind of expose them, make them aware of what's out there. Um, you know, like we talked about, there's so much stuff to get into now. I mean, before, you know, when you and I came on the job, it was a fire engineering sitting on the table, you know, the table is really your only access to the rest of the world. And, um, now there, there's so many great people out there, you know, the Ray McCormick's, the, the, you guys, the, you know, um, you know, there's so many guys out there that are, they're having small conferences. So you have more access to a lot of people. So I think we're kind of seeing a rebirth of those nine X center conferences. The FDNY was having, 
uh, with these heavy hitters. So get out, you know, go see those conferences and, um, you know, get past a lot of the proselytizing and, and get to the meat of the stuff and see that there's really a lot of good things um, being talked about and uh, you know, being learned out there. So um, continue to innovate. Um, don't just, you know, hang on to the glory years that, that you think, thought were the glory years because every year you're in the jobs of glory year, in my opinion. So, um, you know, enjoy the job you're in now not the job again like we, we talked about that that hired you before if you hang on to what was great 20 years ago it's never coming back um you're not going to have the number of people you're going to be busier uh embrace that and you know enjoy the people you work with um is at the end of the day that's who you miss that was beautiful thank you so much for sharing your time your mindset and your perspective uh with us today chief roden we all really appreciate it thank you thanks appreciate it